Every time I go to a different subject, and as far as teaching is concerned, we, I discuss it with Pastor Rob. What do you think we need to do next? What, what should we look at next together? Um, just so we'll have a balanced ministry. We don't want to always be leaning in one area at one time uh, because we all need the completed Word of God and need to study and read and understand. <clears throat> so I asked him about uh, books, and we had come up together with uh, Timothy, perhaps, going through Timothy's writings, and I mean Paul's writings to Timothy. And uh, we both agreed on that, and then a little bit later on, I just, as I was studying, I uh, came across many, many references to the book of Proverbs. And I wondered um, how many of us have done an, a study on the book of Proverbs. And the answer is probably not many of us, including yours truly. Um, but as you read the New Testament and Old Testament, of course, there are many, 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 many quotes from the Proverbs. And there's all kinds of couplets within the book of Proverbs that says how to do it right, and this is the way you should do it, or, or uh, this is the way you've been doing it, and you shouldn't do it that way. So I thought uh, for a study together that we would uh, begin in the book of Proverbs. I talked to Pastor Rob about it, and he agreed, and <clears throat> so we're going to look at Proverbs. My, my problem is that I want to, just to share with you, as I was going through the book of Timothy, and it's not a problem, <clears throat> but I wanted to share with you uh, how I look at books of the Bible. Now, that doesn't mean that's the way you should look at it. doesn't mean the way anyone should look at it. It's the way I do things. When I was in Bible school, the Bible Institute I attended, they didn't tell us what to think. They taught us how to think. And I appreciated that very much of those men. Uh, they could have given us the doctrines and said, here's what you're supposed to believe because you're this persuasion, you're this slant, but no, they taught us how, how to do the Bible, how to study the Bible to present messages to people. And though uh, I might have fallen asleep in some of those classes, I did get most of what they were saying at least. So I was hoping tonight, just for a few minutes together, that we could look at some pitfalls and some encouragements as far as looking at the scripture. Maybe you have a particular bi uh, book of the Bible that you would like to study, you would like to look at. Whether it's an Old Testament book or a New Testament book, it's, it really, uh, really doesn't matter because the principles are all there. So I thought um, just for a few minutes tonight together we'd share that. And then when I come back, I'll be on vacation for a little bit. When I come back, I, we will go right into the book of Proverbs. Uh, my reference is Timothy because that's what I focused over the past couple weeks my time on. But what we want to look at as far as studying the scriptures itself is to try to think through, uh, again, the, the first principles of studying the word of God is always to ask, who said it? And you can say it with me, right? To whom was it said? And what is the context in which it was said? You always need to ask that or you can run amok very quickly. Who said it? To whom was it said, and what, are the, what is the context in which it was said? Now, I don't need to tell you this because you've been here and you're students of the scriptures. That's why you're here tonight. Uh, is there's only one, there's only one interpretation to a passage. There's only one. Now, I say that, but you say, well, I know a hundred guys who disagree on this passage. That's fine, but the only interpretation that matters is what God says it means. 
not what men say it means. Now, we need to be careful because there can be many applications to a passage, right? But the problem with applying something from a passage is you might have it totally wrong. It may not fit you at all. The application really of the... Are the the thoughts of men. This is what I think it means to me. Well, just because you think that doesn't mean that at all. I've had people with wild applications of scriptures. One young lady that I counsel with, this was back many, many years ago. None of you would really even know her. Back many years ago, a lady came to me and she applied some scriptural passages that said it was okay for her to divorce her husband. Well, no, it wasn't. All these passages were way out of context, way out of her, uh, way out of God's will for her life, and yet she came up applying, making application of passages to her particular life. Well, she was just wrong, that's all. So we want to examine the scriptures, and when we examine the scriptures, let's understand that some passages we need to filter through, we need to filter them right through. Uh, things, for example, like um, first century culture, particularly when we get in the book of Proverbs. There's some Proverbs that are very interesting. If a child disobeys his parents, the eagles will come down and pluck his eyeballs out. What? You know, have you ever taught your kids that? Watch out for eagles, boy. They're going to get you. You've disobeyed me for the last time. Get ready not to see for the rest of your life, you know. Um, if a man's ways please the Lord, he will make even his enemies to be friends with him. Is that true? It didn't work for the Lord Jesus, right? So there are some things we need to filter down through culture, don't we? In the first century church, for example, Paul told the church at Corinth, a woman is not to have short hair. She must have long hair. Well, why? Does that fit us today? How long was long? How short was short? What is he talking about? So we, we have to understand that we have to study some things in the light of culture, in the light of customs. The light of customs. But no matter what it is, culture or custom, God's word is still relevant. It's still relevant, and we need to understand that. So though the culture might have been different, it's still relevant for my life. What am I doing here? What am I supposed to do? How does this work uh, for me? So make sure that we always recognize, always look at, and I, what I try to do when I'm going through a book of the Bible that I'm going to study, and I would obviously suggest this to you, I would read the thing through a couple of dozen times. For example, if you uh, go to Dunkin' Donuts and sit in one of their chairs, put a sign up next to you, I have a deadly virus, stay away from me, drink a coffee, and you could read through the book of Timothy 15 times before you were done your coffee. Now, you have time to do that. No, I don't have time. I'm a busy person. Then you're too busy. You could read through 15 times. You could read through Timothy Six chapters, very, very simply. And I'm not telling you to study it. I'm telling you to read through it. Because what happens to all of us, I'm sure, you're reading through a book of the Bible and your mind jumps. And now you don't remember where you read that thing. Was that in Thessalonians? Was it in Second Timothy? 
maybe that was in Titus. So read it through about 15 times or so, more, a couple dozen at least, and then prepare <coughs> to do a study on that particular book. Now, um, and this comes with all kinds of questions, so I would suggest that you get a, uh, some kind of decent one volume, uh, if you can afford more than do more, but one volume commentary from someone you can trust. Uh, now the problem with that is um, not everyone is right about everything, including us, right? Uh, so when you're looking at a commentary, a man could have a particular bent. He could be reformed, he could be dispensational, whatever he is, he might have a particular bent. So there's some areas you're not going to agree with him in necessarily. But if you get a commentary, it might help you, a good one, and there are some still on a table downstairs for you guys and ladies that are interested. There's still a bunch of books down there, so if you want to take them, fine. Just They're for free, they're for nothing, they're all brand new. Well, there's some older ones, but just grab them downstairs on the book table. That's for everyone to take. But <clears throat> get a couple of commentaries, perhaps. Some men you, can, you think you can trust, some men you've heard, perhaps, and and you set that aside, but the first thing you want to do is go through a particular book of the Bible and get yourself a concordance. Now, for those of you who are tech-savvy, you, you have a little pad and you can just put in stuff. I understand that. But I have one of those concordances. If it fell on you, it would kill you. You know, a strong concordance, you flip it open, because that's my way to study. What you do, that's up to you. I don't really care what you do. I'm just saying, get a concordance. And start looking up in the book as you're reading through the book of the Bible, for example, 1 Timothy. As you're reading through, look at particular words. How many times does this word appear in this book? How many times does this word appear in this book? And you will be fascinated. For example, in my study of 1 Timothy, I won't, uh, I won't take a great deal of time. But for example, the word doctrine is used nine times in 1 Timothy. The word doctrine or study teaching. Now, it kind of comes across then, in six chapters used nine times, that Paul wants Timothy to learn something and to teach something. The word faith um, is used, a faith, faithful, it's used over 19 times when you look at it. So Paul wanted Timothy to know something about being faithful or faithfulness or teaching faithfulness. And you can go on and on as you're going through the book, you'll notice how this word is used, and the helpful part of, let's say, a Strong's Concordance, is you go and you look up the word faithful in 1 Timothy, and you run down through, and the, it's all in the whole Bible, wherever faith or faithful is used, you run down through, and there it is. It's used this many times. It's, it's a wonderful study tool, a wonderful study aid. But one of the big problems that you have, and I have, and I'll blame all of us for this, is that when we look at a particular book of the Bible and we're studying through it, our biggest foe, your biggest foe, my biggest foe, are preconceived ideas. That's your biggest problem. It's my biggest, a preconceived idea. When you're studying in the Bible and you remember what Pastor Rob said about that passage, you remember what some pastor said about that passage. You've, you've, how many times have you read the book of 1 Timothy? I've been saved for over 35 years, so I read it a minimum 35 times. 
Plus, in my teaching, I've been through it, I've been through it, I've been through it, I've been through it, and I still struggle with the same thing. I remember what Dr. MacArthur said about this passage. I remember what Dr. McGee said about this passage. And as much as I like those men, they're not perfect men. They could have been very wrong. Stanley said this. Well, who says Stanley's right? He could be wrong. Swindoll said this, or Jeremiah said this. They could be wrong. So our problem is, instead of reading the passage, we read what a person said about the passage. And it's all subtle. You don't, you know, oh, no, I never do that. Okay, except for you, the rest of us struggle. But we all have these preconceived ideas, and they come from hearing. Now, there's not necessarily wrong things about that, but remember, you're studying this for yourself. You're studying this for yourself. And in order for you to get the meat out of that, you need to do your homework in the book and not remember what someone else said about it, but what God says about it. Now, I said to get a couple of commentaries, and those are helpful because there's sometimes when you'll get some stuck on something. And it's not bad if you have a man that you can trust and you just look to see what he said about it. It might help you with some forms of thinking here. That might be helpful. But uh, remember, he's a man as well. Remember what Solomon said, to the writing of books there is no end. But God only wrote one book. So we can get all caught up with books. And we are. We got three tables of them downstairs there, you know. We can get caught up with books, but what does God mean by what God said? Now, some of us who don't know Greek very well, some of us, of course, uh, have studied Greek. I've done courses from uh, what used to be the old Moody Greek courses. I've done that, and I've tried to do my homework. I try to go through the Greek the best I can or the Hebrew the best I can, and I'm somewhat limited. Pastor Rob can probably speak in the language, but I'm limited. But I do my best, and if you get yourself a decent concordance, you run across a word. As you run across that word, uh, look it up. What does it mean in the Greek? What does the Greek say about this? What does this word really mean? And it will be helpful to all of you to, to begin in-depth study. I'm not talking about reading, thumb-drop devotion type thing. I'm talking about really getting into a book. Don't skip over words that you think you know what they mean. What do they really, really mean? So we need to be very careful about our preconceived ideas. I also look for a theme in each chapter, chapter divisions. Particularly in Paul's writing, uh, he has a segment, everything is segmented. He wants to talk about this, he wants to talk about that, he wants to talk about this. So I put chapter divisions in, and my Bible is filled with chapter division notes I also look for the key theme in each chapter. I'll find a verse in each chapter that seems to kick off, in my, in my mind, what that whole chapter seems to indicate. Now, in some chapters, it's difficult because it could be two or three themes in there, but for the most part, I try to find one theme, and that helps me. And I have boodles of paper, scraps of paper all over the place that I, I write my notes on as I'm going through, just taking a look at it. But I always want to make sure that I'm asking constantly, who said it, to whom was it said, and what are the circumstances surrounding this? Now, in the case of Paul, he's writing to Timothy. Who said it? Paul said it. To whom was it said? Timothy. 
And what's the context in which it was said? Timothy's at Ephesus, and Ephesus is a mess. Ephesus is a mess. So you and I, as we're doing that, we want to make sure that we're making a distinction. Turn with me, and you know this very well, but turn with me to 2 Timothy for a moment. 2 Timothy. Now, you're going to say, I know what you're going to say here, and you probably do. But 2 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse <clears throat> 15. Paul wanted Timothy and you and I, of course, to be students of the Word of God. Students of the Word of God. And this comes with our studies of the Word of God. Now, the problem we have today, which wasn't a problem back um, um, not so many years ago, is we all have different versions, do we not? Um, I use the, a modified type King James Bible. Listen, if you don't have one of these, God still loves you. I, I don't care too much for you, but God loves you very much. No, I'm just kidding. I use a, I use a King James Bible. Listen, I was saved with this thing. It, uh, it doesn't throw me off when an EST is on the back of a word. I'm not perplexed by it. I understand it, you know. Thou knowest. It means you know, you know. If you need to get a Bible where you can figure that out, okay, you can do that. But I don't have a problem with it, so I, I like reading through it. There are some Bibles, of course, that uh, take the Greek text and they clarify it a little better, and that's wonderful. That's wonderful. There are some groups around, no, you can only use the KJV, and they're called King James Only People. And they're, they're a little bit scary sometimes with their thoughts. But whatever version you get, you need to get either a download or whatever you call that thing or a concordance in your particular version. But as you're reading down through, it'll be very helpful for you to, to look at what it says. And, and again, this study here, study, this, is, this is requires work. And the term is an interesting work. It means to agonize, really to agonize, agonize to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You see, the word of truth, really, we need to rightly, rightly slicing the term. Now, I know some people have played with this passage, but I still go back to what I feel is, is God's word as I've studied out this passage, Rightly slicing. The word of God needs to be sliced, whether you like it or not. When you're studying the Bible, you need to determine who said this, to whom was it said, and what is the context. Now, to, just to back that up a little bit, please, head with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. My particular bent, my particular area is, I am... A dispensationalist. I shall die a dispensationalist. I probably already died as one, but I shall die a dispensationalist. That is, I believe that God has worked through different people groups in different ages for different purposes to bring his will to mankind. Now, some people have seven dispensations. I would modify that a little bit. But I believe that God wants us to make a distinction between Old Testament and New Testament. There's at least two dispensations in the Bible, is there not? The disciples struggled with that, didn't they? Arise, Peter, kill and eat. I'll, I've never eaten anything unclean. I'm not going to eat anything unclean. 
no, Peter, you don't get it. I want you to go to the Gentiles, and you're still working on staying away from them under law. Peter got the message, did he not? And then he went to the Gentiles. But recognize, God wants us to make a distinction. Now, we're in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 10. Head with me, please, uh, at verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not necessary, expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let every man seek his own. Uh, well, let me read that again. Let not every man seek his own, but uh, seek every man another's good, his good, his well-being. Whatever is sold in the marketplace, that eat, asking, uh, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Okay, So you get the context. He's talking to this group, the church at Corinth, and he's talking to them about what we know to be Christian liberties. Listen, I'm, I'm not under law anymore, Paul says. All things are lawful for me. That's not a problem. He said the trouble is all things do not edify. All things don't build up. All things are not necessary. I need to be careful that I'm not dabbling in the unnecessary here. Now skip down, please, in uh, verse 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink, let me, uh, 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, giving no offense neither to the Jews nor to the Greeks nor to the church of God. See, God has a distinction in people groups. First, the Jews. Then the Greeks or Gentiles, the barbarians. And then the third people group is the church of God. And we make, need to make a distinction when we're looking at God's word. What group is God talking to? What people group is God talking to? What people group is God talking about? We need to make sure and make a distinction so we don't get caught up with a people group. For example, and I've shared this with you so many times, when the Lord Jesus was walking the earth, he told his disciples, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans, but go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, when he said that, is he telling us, don't witness to anyone but Jews? Of course not. Okay, who said it? Jesus. To whom was it said? His disciples. And what's the context? And when you go, preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So there's a distinction to be made here. And if you don't keep that distinction, you say, well, we have to go only to Jews. Why? Because Jesus said so. I don't happen to know any Samaritans, but don't go to any Jews. I mean, don't go to any Gentiles. Go only to Jews. So we, have to, we all make a distinction. Whether, whatever persuasion you might be of, the Reformed Presbyterian covenant theology, uh, dispensationalism, we all need to make sure that we're, we're, we're focused on, listen, what did God say? Who's he talking to? And what's he talking about here? The context. And again, I'll remind you, the context always determines the interpretation. Don't allow yourself to start lifting out theologies from the Bible based upon one verse. Always make sure it's in context. Now, I want to see, if we could, a couple of passages. Head with me to Acts chapter 15. We looked at this in my class on Monday nights. But Paul finally gets the message from the Lord. 
the Lord's been kind of chasing him around, that he can go to the Gentiles. And Paul does that. We're, we're in the book of Romans, chapter uh, 15, Paul is at the church at Antioch, which was his sending church, he and Barnabas. Wonderful place, his sending church. And some men come from John, I mean from James, from the, from the Jerusalem council, according to them. They said, we came from the Jerusalem council and we have some news for you. And notice in chapter 15 and verse 1, And certain men who came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. What? Paul's just been teaching salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And these guys come from Judea and said, No, you've, you've got to follow the Old Testament Mosaic law or you cannot be saved. You cannot be saved. So, of course, Paul is, uh, there's no small dissension in verse 2. Remember, imagine Paul and Barnabas. They must have been ripping their hair out. What is this all about? How can this be? What is going on here? They said they came from Judea, indicating they came from the Jerusalem council of, of the apostles and slash the prophets up in Jerusalem. Well, we find out a little later on when you're studying in James that that wasn't true at all. James said they supposed that we sent them, but they didn't. We didn't send these guys. So when we're looking at this, we recognize that there need to be a distinction made, right? An Old Testament Jew had to keep the Mosaic Law, right? They had to. They had to believe God's word and act accordingly. A New Testament Christian has to do what? Believe God's word and act accordingly. But that does not include the Mosaic law. We don't keep kosher. We don't only travel so far on certain days. We don't follow the Mosaic law. I mean, we follow, of course, the, the, uh, the righteousness of the law. But we don't follow the, the, uh, the pattern of the law that requires keeping kosher in our life. Now, why is that? Well, because you need to make a distinction, don't you? Peter learned that. Paul learned that. And we learned that from the scriptures. Now, be careful here. Head with me, of course, to uh, Acts chapter 15. And now look at verse 5. Paul and Barnabas make a couple hundred mile trip to Jerusalem. And they get to Jerusalem and they want to meet with the apostles and the prophets because these guys have said you have to keep the Mosaic law to be saved. But notice what's going on in the church in Jerusalem in verse 5. But there arose certain of the sect of the Pharisees who believed. These were Christians. They were former Pharisees that were Christian, became Christians. Now, Paul was one of those, was he not? This might have been Joseph of Arimathea. He might have been among these guys. We don't know that. I'm not sure about that, but they, there was some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, that is, they trusted Christ as Savior. And notice what they said. But there rose up a sect of the Pharisees who believed, saying, it was needful to, be circumcised, to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, these men are not fooling around with salvation. They're fooling around with sanctification. And there's a difference there. These guys, the first group of men who came from Judea, were fooling around with salvation. They were saying, you have to 
be uh, circumcised essentially and follow Mosaic law, or you cannot be a believer. So they added works to salvation. Paul took care of that in Galatians chapter 1, didn't he? Sure he did. But here you have a group of people that now want to add works after you're saved. That is the works of the Mosaic law, after you're saved. You see that? Okay, yes, you, we can bring Gentiles in by grace, through faith alone, and Christ alone, but after they become saved, they have to be circumcised and keep the Mosaic law. So they're adding to sanctification. And you know, that goes on all the time in churches. It goes on all the time. Some guy will have a particular bent in a particular area, and, and uh, that becomes his focus. And I know I've been through these bents myself. It becomes his focus, and it seems like every passage of Scripture, he reads this stuff leaps out at him. And before you know it, he be develops a bent in a particular area. And we need to be careful that we're not subject to that. And I don't believe that with Pastor Rob. I know enough of you would talk to him about it, and, and I certainly would as well. But we need to be careful that we're not remembering what someone said, and that's their bent. That's not what God means. It's not what God means at all. God says something particularly uh, specific about this area, and I need to know what it is. So when I'm studying through a book, a preconceived idea can be one of my worst enemies. Now, be careful. I'm not saying forget everything Pastor Rob ever taught you. Uh, and just do it yourself. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is when you're studying God's word, you have all these teachers that have said things, and that's wonderful, but we need to be like the Bereans, do we not? You receive the word with all readiness of mind, and then you search the scriptures to see if these things are so. We need to be looking at that. So we need to be very careful that we're not twisting the scriptures. Now, for example... In the book of 1 Timothy, I won't have you turn there right now, but in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 3 and verse 16, my Bible says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Yours says something similar to that. I know the ESV uses um, the, that profitable, the KJV does. The New King James, even the uh, New American Standard uses that word profitable for doctrine. But I, I've looked up a couple of passages in a couple of other Bibles, and I won't tell you what they are. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings here. But some of them say very useful. Very useful. What do you mean very useful? God said it, was, it would profit always. And the translation comes down to it, it's very useful. Now, you know, I have an alarm clock. It's very useful, but I very seldom set the thing, right? As a matter of fact, I could probably throw it away now that I'm getting older and wouldn't need an alarm clock at all. Why? Well, because I just get up with the birds. I try to go to bed with them too, by the way, but I get up with the birds and I don't, my, my, my alarm clock is useful, but it's not necessary. See? But for some of you, the alarm clock is very profitable, isn't it? Very. So it depends on how a guy is using these terms. 
So be careful when it comes to versions. I suggest that you can buy yourself a, a, a version of the script, uh, a several, it's one volume set, and it will tell you, here's what the ESV says, here's what the NIV says, here's what the KJV says, here's what, the, you know. These things can be helpful to us. But if you find yourself studying only out of one version, you can hamper your, your, your study of the scriptures. I, I happen to look them all up when I'm studying. I, that's what I do. You don't have to do what I do. It doesn't matter at all. But I happen to look them up. But we want to be very careful now. We have a preconceived idea. And sometimes our idea might be out of focus with what God's word says. We want to be careful that we're not injecting what someone else said, and they might not be right about it, and then come up with a twisted scripture. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. You can come up with some twisted scriptures in your mind. Why? Because you've heard what people said. You're not rightly dividing the word of truth. And the version of the Bible you have might have used that word in a wrong text, a wrong context. Or they might have, in fact, used what's called the dynamic equivalency. Uh, some versions of the Bible, and all Bibles to a certain extent, use some kind of dynamic equivalency because some of the language is difficult. But what they'll say is what, this is what God meant by what he said in these verses. And they're giving you their opinion about what he meant by what he said instead of what he really said. Because if you try to read through a Greek text, just the Greek itself, it's very difficult. I have several books like that in my office and it's very difficult to read the Greek itself. That doesn't mean it's impossible. You can do it. But it requires an awful lot of study. So what happens is, to simplify the minds of people, they've given us what they would call dynamic equivalency. Essentially, this is what he meant by what he said. Instead of, this is what God said. We need to be careful. Why? Because you can twist the scriptures. And Paul, uh, Peter let us know something about that, did he not? Uh, look at second. I have you in what? Second Peter chapter three. Is that correct? All right. Second Peter chapter three. Look at uh, verse uh, fourteen. Wherefore, my beloved, seeing that you look for such things, what's that? A new heaven, a new earth coming. Now, we recognize that as Peter is writing this, he's writing primarily to uh, he's writing to believers, but it's primarily to Jewish believers. And the reason he's saying that is, as you look, he's talking about the day of the Lord coming. We're talking about the second coming of Messiah. So he's bringing them up to speed, but using Old Testament references. Now, picking it up, if we could, in um, verse 16, uh, verse 15. The account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of things which some are, things are hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable, the word my King James says rest there, the proper term really is to twist, to maneuver, to manipulate. They twist the scriptures as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. We want to make sure that we're not fooling around with the word of God to make it say what I think it should say. And there's a lot of people that do that. 
it's interesting, and I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, believe me, but uh, the charismatic and Pentecostal movement can be famous for some of that at times. Making a verse say what it doesn't say to fit their bent. Now, every group is responsible, and I suppose in some ways we may be responsible for some of that. I just don't know it, but I'm sure some of you will share that with me later. But recognize, we can, we can manipulate the scriptures to say what we think it should say. It's not intentional necessarily until you get into cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses have literally changed the scriptures to make it say what they want. Literally. And then, quote, New World Translation, unquote. But turn with me now to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. That's not it. Let me twist them a little bit here. Uh, that's not the passage I'm looking for. Well, head with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So as we're studying the Bible, beware. I need to beware all the time. Maybe some of you don't, but I need to be aware all the time that I'm not reading this with a preconceived idea. I want to know what God said. I, I heard what my pastor said. I believed that. I heard what ex-Bible teacher said. I believed that. I read this in a book. I believed that. That's okay. But what did God really say? Not my, what I think he said through what this guy said, but what did God really say? We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Look with me, please, uh, a moment at verse uh, 21. 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, look at, uh, let's start right in verse uh, 20, if we could, please. For though I am free from all men, yet have I made myself servant again unto all, that I might gain the more. So you get the context. Paul's saying, listen, I try to avail myself to everyone that I can tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> In verse 20, And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law, as under the law. And there's a footnote in my Bible. He says, it says, not being myself under law. Paul, Paul placed himself under the authority of the Old Testament law, not the salvific part, but the, the practical worship part. Remember he, had, he shaved his head at one, made a vow. Why did he do that? He was showing the Jews that he did not disrespect the Mosaic law. But as far as salvation was concerned, he always pointed out that salvation was by grace through faith alone. But he would keep the Mosaic law with Jews. He didn't mind that. That's okay, not hurting anything. The law is holy, just, and good, if, if, if it bothers you that I come into your house not wearing a yarmulke, I'll wear a yarmulke. It's not a problem. No problem there. And I faced this with some Christians when I brought groups to Israel. On, um, when we get near Sabbath, they will not serve you cream with your coffee. You just won't get it. And the reason is they won't, don't want to mix you know, uh, that which is from a steer uh, the mother's milk, they, they, don't, they won't mix it. It's a mosaic law. And I've heard Christians, what? Isn't there a Dunkin' Donuts around? What is this, this is stupid, you know, stuff like that. Christians say stuff like that. Well, what's wrong with you? You're in the land of Israel. You're at a kosher place. Just drink it black or get some water or something. Figure it out. 
But Paul said it's not a problem. So he placed himself under the Mosaic law. But notice what he says in verse 21. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law unto Christ, but under the law to Christ. So Paul recognized that uh, there were certain boundaries that he could keep and certain boundaries that he couldn't keep. If a, if a, um, if a Gentile uh, asked him to do something that was contrary to God's word, he couldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. He needed to be careful. And there are some cultures today that um, they try to force you into doing something. What's wrong with you? What's, what's wrong with that anyway? You know, if you're really... Um, if you were really a, a good Christian, you wouldn't, you'd do this. No, I wouldn't. If I believe God's word forbids it, I'm not going to do it. Say, well, it will hurt my feelings. Then you have to be hurt. I'd rather hurt you than God. And I'm thinking in the, in the, in, in the vein of, I'm almost out of time so I can close the Bible and run here. I'm thinking in the vein of drinking. I've had some cultures, cultural people, make fun of me and try to get me to drink wine. Oh, what's wrong with wine anyway? I always have wine with my meal. I didn't have it, but I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. But if you were really a good Christian, you'd come in and accept my hospitality. Well, I'm not really a good Christian, but I'm still not going to accept your hospitality. I, I won't do that. Now, maybe you've never faced this, but I have been in a couple of different countries where they tried to force that on me. I'm not going to do it. Say, well, you won't get to witness to them. Well, then God's going to send someone else who take a sip of the witch's brew. I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to bother. So there's all of these things contained within the scriptures, and we want to make sure we're not twisting the scriptures or allowing ourselves where we can have Christianity our way. Does that make sense to you? See, I don't want... I don't want to twist the scriptures that makes it seem like I can do anything I want. I'm under grace. Huh? I can go anywhere I want. I can look at anything I want. I can say anything I want. I can joke about anything I want. Why? Because I'm under grace. No, no. You're under the law to Christ. There's some certain New Testament things that say, no, you don't. And as we study the scriptures, we need to know what the no, you don'ts are, right? we face the Lord. So I, I hope in some small way this was helpful, hopefully, but uh, as you do a study, and my suggestion would be to study Timothy. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. There's many helps on that. Um, get yourself a concordance or a tablet or whatever you're going to do uh, and, and, and look up the words, look up the verses, look up and see um, what God meant by what he said. And make sure that we know what God meant and not what men say. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your revealed truth. Father, we seek not to twist the scriptures, but to know exactly what you have to say. Lord, we trust the men who teach us here at the Cornerstone Church. We, uh, we, we understand they've done their work, they've studied, and yet we need to search the scriptures to see if these things are so. Father, we know when we stand before you, it won't be, well, Pastor Rob or Pastor Bill or an elder or deacon said this. It will be, yeah, but what did you do? So, Father, as I would only give account to you, I pray, Father, that you'd help me to be a student of the word. And as we begin to look at the book of Proverbs 
some of it uh, mystifying. And yet, Lord, you have said something, and you mean what you said. Help us to study uh, the scriptures together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.